0: Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Good morning. I'm going to be reading uh, from Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 2 through 7. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Thank you, Shelby. Greetings, everybody. It's been a little bit. How you guys doing? Good. Good, good. Um, I I do want to say thank you to everybody who's helped make uh, my apartment possible and all the donations and everything else. Uh, It makes me feel really appreciated, and it makes living in an apartment a lot easier when you have a bed (laughs) and reading a lot easier when you have a lamp, so thank you very much for that. Um, kind of funny in listening to Dave, do, Dave Rossi, as he made a, a quick comment beforehand in the preamble, um, he said something. I didn't, qu- I didn't quite quote you, Dave, I, but I got the gist of it. Don't do what you'll, something that you'll regret. Don't do something you'll regret. And that's it's kind of ironic he said that because I didn't tell him what passage we were working off of today. So uh, that seems almost prophetic. Today we're going to use we're we're going to look at this passage of scripture to talk a little bit about our sense of awe in the Lord. Not just because I like to use the word awesome in a sermon, um, but because our sense of awe is at the core of our worship, our reverence, and our joy in the Lord. Webster's defines awe as an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, etc. Produced by something which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like. Something from my life when I was growing up that I found a lot of awe in. I grew up in the era when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, like in the prime of his career. Um, At the time, he was the most influential and dominant athlete in the world. Uh, A couple of his records, he was like a five-time MVP award winner. Ten consecutive seasons that he played a full season in, he led the league in scoring. He's the all-time scoring leader in average per season. Three times led the league in steals, two times in free throws. Number one all-time in this statistic called win shares per replacement means by that statistic he's the most valuable member of a team ever to play in the NBA. But that wasn't the most powerful thing about Michael Jordan because beyond the stats... It was the way that he did it. Like, I always had a sense in watching him that it seemed like he could accomplish anything. That even if it took doing things so spectacular, it was almost unbelievable. Like, anything was possible in watching this man play basketball. In fact, his first championship, there was this moment that got memorialized called the shot, the Bulls were down by one, three seconds to play, three seconds, they inbound the ball at central court, Michael Jordan takes two dribbles and jumps. It felt like the whole world was holding their breath. Michael Jordan takes off in the sky, and this guy who's like a professional defensive NBA player jumps up like right after him. This guy named Craig Elo, Flies in front of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's still hanging in the air. Craig Elo comes down, lands on the other side of the court. Michael Jordan's still in the air, sinks the basket. Time runs out. Craig Elo, 12-time, 12-year MBA, uh, NBA player, defensive specialist, collapses on the side of the court, literally falls over in a heap. Can't believe what he just witnessed. It was awesome. It was awesome. There's something inside of us that's hardwired for awe. God created a world that intentionally gives us experiences and spectacles that create in us a sense of amazement. Maybe for you, that sense of awe comes from a rhythm to a song. Some lyrics or chords that take you back to a place or to some people, to a time that moved your life. Maybe that place is lower Lewis River waterfalls in the springtime in a gentle rain. The mist pelting your face and the raindrops falling on your tongue. Maybe it's a timeless piece of art. Maybe it's watching a child take their first steps. You know what? We're so hardwired for awe, we even find awe in the destructive. We have, we have phrases like, man, that was a train wreck. Meaning something was, has so, it had so much sense of awe to it, we couldn't even look away from it. News stories highlight fear and the negativity in the world. There's an increasing amount of TV shows that showcase an ever more awesome sense of evil. But my first point in noting that, is that we're a people who are susceptible to misplacing awe. One of the times that we're most susceptible to misplacing awe is when the spectacular things become common. Amidst the dull thudding of every day, we can lose sight of the majesty that's around us. And I would even say there's a few certain circumstances in this piece of scripture where we are likely to lose our sense of awe, and it seems like Cain certainly lost his sense of awe. Verse 2, second half of verse 2 through the first part of verse 4, says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, think of the setup to this story. God speaks to a couple of brothers about how to sacrifice to him, and they have a chance to work together to honor the Lord and bring him glory. The setting of this story should be one of triumph, right? Hey, bro, let's go honor the Lord. Let's, let's get our sacrifices together. Let's make much of him. Like, let's glory in that. Like, this should be a victory, These brothers got to hear from God directly about what God wanted. True clarity and God asking them specifically what to do. But sometimes, sometimes some of the most common things can be most overrun with frustration and a lack of perspective. As life on life happens, we can get sideways with how we navigate our emotions and our perspective. Here's a few things that I see in this picture that went wrong that can also go wrong in our life, right? And there are a struggle with perspective in three areas. First, there's family. Second of all, there's church. And third of all, there's a call to sacrifice, right? Nobody ever gets any of those things wrong, Right? There's a lot going on. I'll start with family. There's a lot going on amidst our families. What should be sacred can often be messed up by our brokenness. In families, we have conflicting sets of needs, we have different rhythms to how life happens, and different perspectives on things that are valuable or good or worthwhile. And we're not, if we're not careful, family can go from this great blessing to this petri dish of hurt and unmet desires. In this case, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> to say that Cain and Abel had a sibling rivalry is a gross understatement. The second example from Scripture is church. God is directly involved in what's going on here. In fact, the call for them to be involved spiritually seems to be at the center of the dispute. These brothers didn't have a formal church. Like I mentioned, they heard from God directly. The presence of God and doing his work, while it should make us feel small and healthfully unable to affect the changes that he needs, in this case, drew up a sense of pride. Instead of being awestruck by God... They got conflicted and self-centered. At least one of them did. Let me point out one of the main tactics of the enemy is to make church appear to have less awesomeness than it does. In a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, this book it's set up as one senior tempting demon writing to another less experienced demon. And here's what they tell one another about church. The senior one says, one of our great allies at the present is the church itself. Do not understand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread throughout all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as any army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our most boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it's quite invisible to these humans. All your patient will see is a half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he'll see the local grocer, rather oily and an expression on his face, bustling up to offer him a shiny book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands. He'll hand him another shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. A bad hymnal. When he gets to his pew and looks around, he sees just that a selection of his neighbors who he would otherwise avoid. You want to lean pretty heavily into those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like, The body of Christ? And the actual faces he sees in the pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that that pew contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side, but that's no matter. Your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, have boots that squeak, or double chins, or odd clothes, that patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. One of the great schemes of the devil is to make the church appear homely and common. The third piece of this passage that I'm going to highlight is a call to sacrifice, Throughout Scripture, sacrifice was one of the places where God most readily encountered his people. In later chapters of the Bible, God would establish a temple. In later chapters of the Bible, Jesus would say, I am the temple, and I come to meet you in your heart. Your body is the temple. Sacrifice is central to worshiping God. And in this chapter, even though God audibly spoke about what he wanted to these brothers, one of them was unwilling to sacrifice. I'd say that's a lot of that's true in our world today. In the 21st century, some of the pollsters that keep track on things like these say that Christians are not likely to give any more money than those who do not attend church or have any religious affiliation. Nor are they more likely to volunteer any more time. See, there's something in this story, in, there's something in Cain's life in this story that's holding him back from his contact with God. Maybe Cain let some sibling rivalry or another family issue disrupt his worship as if getting an animal from his brother And having to humble himself to do that would be more important than worshiping an ever-living, ever-loving God. He felt that his call to sacrifice was a checkbox instead of a calling. And there were aspects of laying down his life that were above his sense of sacrifice. Why doesn't he just want to do the right thing? Why is it sometimes that like we don't want to do the right thing? My point number two is, there's a cost for misplacing awe. There's a cost when you misplace awe. Verse four continues, the Lord had a regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. I'm going to give you guys a spoiler alert, all right? If you haven't heard this story before, it's going to go way wrong in a minute, okay? Way wrong. Way wrong. God had no regard for Cain's offering. It's interesting, as kind of a theological aside, I read in a in a bunch of commentaries as to like why God wouldn't have regard for Cain's offering. And there's there's a long um, tenured idea as to why that is. That's now kind of being argued about amongst scholars. And people used to say quite frequently it was because Cain's offering didn't have blood sacrifice. Okay, there there wasn't something that died and shed its blood. As an example of that, we see in, uh, in the Jewish nation, they used to have a temple where they used to perform blood sacrifice, and Jesus said, as we'll picture here later, that it's his blood that atones for our sins. So that's been an argument throughout Scripture. I think it's kind of an aside to the point we're going, going for today, but I'll address it really quickly. I don't know if there's conclusive evidence to point to that for being the cause. I'll give you three reasons. We, and, and at the end of the day, we can land on either side. But three reasons are, Scripture doesn't explicitly say so. It doesn't explicitly say because there's no bloodshed, as that's why I didn't accept your offering. Number two, it says Cain is part of God's dissatisfaction. Back to verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So it seemed to instigate that maybe Cain was actually part of the problem, not just what was on the table. Number three, the argument that there has to be a blood as part of a sacrifice isn't held up even in the pages of Scripture. When we see Abram later give a sacrifice to Melchizedek, it says Abraham gave a tenth of his goods. Jesus would say he's a priest in the line of Melchizedek, and if Abraham doesn't give a blood offering to Melchizedek, that seems to at least leave an opening in the door. In the New Testament, Paul will talk about himself as a drink offering. A drink offering is when they took wine or strong drink and they poured it out on the altar, and that would be significant of a sacrifice that was immediately gone. That's how the apostle Paul considered his life we know that the Jewish people didn't drink blood, so that drink offering would not have been a blood offering. So anyways, we can land on either side of this. I'm just saying I I would leave the door open on saying Cain's sacrifice and his lack of acceptance didn't have specifically necessarily to do with the blood. It had a lot to do with Cain. had a lot to do with Cain's heart. If, if the blood was a factor, I would even argue that it's Cain's lack of initiative or lack of humility in getting that sacrifice. Ultimately, Cain's got to own this one. It seemed that Cain struggled in one of the areas we mentioned, be it his perspective on family, be it his perspective on church, or be it his perspective on sacrifice as to why he couldn't follow through with this. If family issues were the factor, why couldn't Cain humble himself and ask for his brother to help him out? It seemed, how it seemed if that's the root, that he felt quite entitled to his family role, to having things be his way, and maybe even to maintaining control over his brother. It seems like part of the problem, too, would be Cain's intimacy with God when God spoke directly to Cain and gave him a way to find acceptance, the more God spoke to Cain, the more Cain pushed back and rejected what God said. Cain had an opportunity to rediscover intimacy, but he didn't seem to have the reverence and excitement that he should have. The more God spoke to Cain the more Cain rejected God. The third piece that could be part of this puzzle is Cain's lack of sense of sacrifice. We all struggle with sacrifice, don't we? I mean, like nobody's like, hey, this is easy, I got this. Give you up whatever you want. That's the way we are as people. But it's interesting to note in this story, Cain's lack of ability to sacrifice in the end, cost him far, far more than the sacrifice itself would have ever cost him. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. My theological aside, number two, this is the first place in the Bible that sin is listed. It's transliterated as a dangerous thing, an animal, a person, a threat, waiting for you. And it wants to get you. In a very real way, we're not talking boogeyman stuff, sin got Cain. In the New Testament, Peter would even talk about the devil and say, the devil is a roaring lion seeking to devour. Much the same kind of comparison that God is making here. See, when you lose your sense of awe in the Lord and how he's speaking to you, you become vulnerable to sin. Cain's behavior of treating himself like a Hollywood diva above what God was asking him to do opened the door to his own destruction. His own perceived needs or need for respect or ego seemed to him higher than what God required of him. Instead of finding awe in what, uh, in what God was asking him, he didn't even find awe in the fact that God was speaking to him. He found his ultimate sense of awe in something he wanted to be or possess or experience. Cain's mistake was that he saw himself at the center of the story. He let things get in the way of worshipful sacrifice and awe of our God. Have you ever thought of life that way? Like, like if I could re- just wrestle everything together to be, to be the way I wanted it to be, I would finally get what I want. If I could just make this circumstance turn out this certain way, it would make me happy. If I could just arrange all these things in my life so that I got all my ducks in a row, all my boxes checked, and able to fulfill myself, like that would be ultimate fulfillment. That's taking the awe off of God and putting it on yourself. There's a warning in the New Testament about this. Romans chapter 1 verse 22 to 25 says, Claiming to be wise, they became as fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They took their awe off of God. It continues, Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Be careful in turning your awe away from God, because God may give you what you ask for. Now, this verse also helps to clarify in what we're talking about. We're not saying it's wrong to find awe in creation. We're not saying it's wrong to watch Michael Jordan or a beautiful waterfall or a child and say, wow, that's awesome. It's wrong when you take the ultimate sense of awe and instead of seeing those things as a reflection of God's glory, see them as the accumulation of all of your sense of awe. To make these other awe awesome things in creation, penultimate, that's the mistake. God has clearly made wonderful and amazing things for us to appreciate, but he's warning us not to look for glory in things that we can touch, smell, or see, but to look for ultimate glory amidst the Almighty and all that is tied up in that. Cain's loss of awe, more aptly put, is his own awe redirected at himself, which gave him a delusional sense of self-sovereignty. My third point: awe is the appropriate response to God alone. Psalm thirty-three verses six and eight, six through eight: By the word of God, the Lord made; by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. See, there's a war over the, your, the awe of your heart that's raging inside of you. You're going to have a sense of awe at something. In fact, the reformers used to say, human hearts are little idol factories, carrying off our sense of awe towards one thing or another until we find our ultimate sense of awe. We're called to find our ultimate sense of awe in the God of the Bible. Not to stand in awe of God because he forces you to, but to stand in awe of God because he is worthy, more worthy than anything else that you look at, see, or behold. Stand in awe of God because he's the most awesome. Cain would say, I'm not my brother's keeper. And you're not to be your brother's keeper. Instead, you're to be a keeper of your own sense of wonder in the divine. There's a New Testament promise about God as well. God will be appreciated. When Jesus came into Jerusalem and his apostles were praising him, and they were criticized by the Pharisees, Jesus told them, if they're quiet... Even the rocks are going to cry out, all right? Like, this, this whole thing was built for my glory. The world will honor God. You can choose to step away and be like, man, religion is boring. Too much rules. We serve a no-fun-bummer God. Like, we'll miss you, but you're not going to wreck the party. <laughs> God will call you back, but you're not going to disrupt the awesomeness of the universe or the divinity of God himself. Michael Jordan is one day going to pass out of this life like chaff from the earth. Unless something drastically changes, he'll do so without any effect on my spiritual life or likely any effect on y'all's spiritual life. For all of his basketball glory, what he becomes in the next life will have far more to do with what what was done on a cross 2,000 years ago than his great skill of dribbling or shooting or his ability to jump in the air. You know, but in praying about this sermon, it's been interesting to think about. When I grew up, I had faith Michael Jordan could do like anything. But on a practical level, I wonder if I always think of God that way. You know, I pray, but I don't know if I always pray that way. I give, but I don't know if I always give that way. And I love, but I don't know if I always love that way. Maybe in hearing this, you can relate to some of that. And maybe you're even wondering like, hey, what's a way that we, what's areas that we can look at to help rediscover God? My fourth point is where can we look at? to rediscover God in our life. Finding awe in the things God created and reflecting that awe is a legitimate way to see God's divinity and His awesomeness in creation. To start looking past the regularity of daily life and looking forward to the majesty of what God is doing in you, in your church, in the lives around you, in your families, and in your communities. Finding marks of His majesty in the temporal things that we experience on earth. Like we would find footprints in the dust. You'd find awe in his kingdom. You can find awe in your relationships. You can start to enter those relationships with an eye looking for how God might be working to redeem the people around you for his glory. You can find awe in the sacrifice of Jesus and try to walk like he did in bearing the burdens for others. You can find awe and rest. Psalm forty-six, ten says, "Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and in the earth." A profound ingredient to our joy in God is that He makes so much of us. That brings us to my last point. Most of all, you can find awe in God Himself, the Creator. The Westminster Catechism says. The chief end of man is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. As we transition to a time of communion, I'm going to bring Samuel up to lead that. But I think this message and Dave's word and even this time of being able to look at his sacrifice for our sins, for our atonement, for our ultimate admission into heaven and invitation to spend time with him, is all going to come out of a reflection of how we see Him in His glory and how we can have ever more thankfulness in all that He's done for us. Let me close us in a word of prayer and give us some time to reflect. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. You are gracious and amazing beyond beyond words O Lord. Thank You for being that. Thank You for being glorious and majestic beyond our imaginations that we can't fit you in a box, that we can't control you, that we can't manipulate you to make us be God. Thank you for your sovereignty and your power and your might. But Lord, thank you most of all for loving us, for calling us to yourself, and for giving us invitation to live with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.